Hi, I'm Oki, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Book. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About Your Book. I am talking to author Danielle Orsino, who is, who is quite fabulous and amazing, and you'll definitely get to see why. I normally don't get to speak to a lot of fantasy authors, especially someone who's as amazing as Danielle. But hi, Danielle, how are you today? Oh, good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so ready to dive into the book series that you have. Can we go ahead and start talking about The Birth of Faye, which is also titled Locked Out of Heaven. Can you tell me about your book? The series is Birth of the Fae. First one is Locked Out of Heaven. I'm up to actually book six plus one novella. So that actually ends volume one. So I have volume two already ready to go. I'm three books in. It'll probably only be three books for that volume. The entire series encompasses the idea that the Fae are actually angels who can't go home. They're locked out of the shining kingdom. So I took it away from the ordinary idea of just them being, you know, Celtic mythology and just, uh, they just exist, the elemental creatures. They are, they have their identities that they are two uh, factions of angels, the virtue angels, which were sent here by their creator to prep the earth for his next great experiment, which are humans and the power brigade angels, which are the foot soldiers of the archangels. And they are at war right at that point with Lucifer. And one day, Lucifer pulls his horde back. And the virtue angels are like, great, we're going home. Here we are. We finished. And all of a sudden, the gates lock. And everyone hears the gates lock. And they're just like, "Um, wait a minute. Uh, We missed the plane. Now what? what? (laughs) And they can't go home. And they don't know why. But because they are then cut off from the shining glory, their wings begin to decay. And all of a sudden, things change for them. The Power Brigade are just waiting for orders, and they're just like, okay, what's next? Because they have a hive mentality. So now they're just sitting there like, well, now what do we do? And now they both have to decide, how do we survive? We need new identities. We have to figure this out. It's the idea that we've all faced. What happens when you throw yourself into one identity, whether it's your job or even you know, when you go from middle school to high school and you want to reinvent yourself, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And we see that happen in Locked Out of Heaven and they become what we know as the Fae. But throughout history, there are Greek and Roman gods and goddesses or Egyptian gods and goddesses, pagan gods and goddesses. Because when humans populate the earth, the Fae figure out human worship equals power. And now how do we steal it all for ourselves? So that begins the civil war between the power brigade and the virtue angels. Fascinating. This is brilliant. Is there one particular character that the series is focused on, or maybe one or two that we follow along the ride, or more of an ensemble cast, I guess? It's more of an ensemble cast because what I did was I didn't want to tell it from a first person point of view because Mm. I think the themes throughout it and this idea that when a tragedy happens, how we all deal and grieve. Everybody does it differently. So I wanted people to be able to kind of pick their favorite and identify with the character. So you see it from King Jarbok's point of view, who is the leader of the Power Brigade and becomes the Dark Fae King. We see it from Queen Aurora's point of view, who is the Queen of the Court of Light. 
And then their supporting cast, you know, Asa, who is the third lieutenant in the Court of Dark. Then we have Serena, who is Aurora's best friend and the first mermaid. And her kind of idea of, I'm a ride or die gal, so I'm going to be there, but I'm also your voice of reason. You know, she's that mm-hmm. friend that you have where who tells you the truth, even when you don't want to hear it, but you need to hear it. But at the same point, everything is going down in flames around you. And she's like, you're doing so good. This is great. Yeah, you keep it up, girl. But at the same point, she's like, okay, now I'm going to tell you what's really happening. Like behind closed doors, gotcha. you can be really like, the sky's purple. And she's like, yes, it is. And then she pulls you aside and goes, but. what do you mean the sky's purple? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know, I must tell you in front of everybody, yes, it's purple. But behind closed doors, she's like, what are you smoking? Like, what, what is happening here? So it's kind of a group cast that mm-hmm. everybody can, can identify with maybe having a friend like that. Gotcha. And go from there. I love that even though it's in a fantasy world, there's still moments in friendship or or relationships where it's kind of relatable. As a reader, I definitely search for things like that, even though I get myself lost into the fantasy world. Was there one character or two that maybe was challenging to write or you kind of surprised by the direction it went to now that you're on, you know, six books and a novella with it? There were definitely characters that surprised me. I did not plan on writing Faye Children. That was not what I went into writing. And then I had a character named Indiga pop into my head at like two in the morning playing (laughs) the theme Cherry Bomb. And she literally like skipped across my brain and was like, get up and write my story. She's like, this is how it's going to go. And I'm like, who are you? And she's like, yeah, I'm in the series now. And I did not expect to write that. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, I was like, who are you? And she's like, no, get up and write me. (laughs) And I never expected her nothing like that. And all of a sudden I had what I call my face Scooby gang show up. And it was like her, her best friend, Issa, Issa's cousin, Dora. And I'm like, where did you all come from? Because this was not in my planet. (laughs) And the three of them just kind of popped up making mischief. And I'm like, okay, now the story's going in a totally different direction. And I don't know what to do with you, but they wrote their own story and there they were. And I'm like, cool. What do I do with you? But they were there. They were challenging at first to tell it from that six or eight-year-old point of view of like being in a big crowd and, you know, looking up and then whining. They want to go play hide and seek. They don't want to be there. You know, that whole kind of thing. So it it was definitely more challenging, but it was really exciting. And then Mm -hmm. indeed, it wound up being like one of my favorite characters. So with writing the whole world building and all this good stuff, how did you approach all this having to differentiate many things considering you're kind of putting Faye in a whole different light. How was it writing the big talent on that? All right. I'll be honest. I didn't know world building. I'm not like, I'm not a classically trained writer. So I didn't sit there and be like, now I shall world build. I had no (laughs) idea what it was doing. I really didn't. I took my smallest, most, what I considered like an insignificant character and Mm -hmm. thought of what does a day in the life look like to them? Nice. And then started to kind of build it from there. Like, what do they eat? What do they do? And then was like, okay, well, they don't eat an apple. They eat starfruit. What does starfruit look like? And then just built it. And I was like, I guess that's world building. I don't know. (laughs) And like, it's your world. So I I say it is. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I didn't really sit and think of world building. I was just like, okay, if they do this, what's the consequence? If they do that, what's this? 
and just kind of kept going from there. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sitting there like with a checklist, but what I did do is I kept an author index of everything. Gotcha. Who's related to who? How do they get along? What's mannerisms? What's protocol? Mm-hmm. And kept that building. And then I kind of look for holes in there. My biggest thing was like the magic system. I didn't want it to just be like, oh, it's magic. Right. It works. Right. I, I built but that what about out a little it? bit more. Right. Yeah, like I built it from the chakras. That made sense to me, was mm-hmm. utilizing chakras more. I'm like, gotcha. cool, we'll, we'll work with that. Same thing with my dragons. My dragons were like the big thing. I didn't want them to just be like, oh, they're dragons. They breathe fire. Cool. Let's right. That. I worked with a vet. I worked with um, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, a physics professor. And I was like, okay, they're going to breathe fire, ice, acid. How? If I'm, I'm Mythbusters, I've told this story before, they will be plausible. Don't have to be confirmed, but plausible. So we worked really hard and I built them from their digestive systems out. That's how the oral defenses went. Because I'm like, I can't just have a fire breathing dragon and everybody be like, oh, that's what you get. Right. So we worked really hard with that. Then flying. I I was not going to have them be the size of 747s and just taking off like Superman. (laughs) That wasn't going to happen. So we had them gliding. They had to jump from a high point and glide and then work with like the albatross theory. So for that, I was like, okay, there have to be points in the court of dark where these dragons would jump from. So I had launching, you know, areas, but I didn't want them to be weapons. So the dragons actually are draconian factions and they have their own area in the veil where they worship and they do their own thing. And then how they met the dark bay, why they're friends that had to be built out. And we kind of just, went from there and then everything else fell into place. I love hearing the process, how authors do this, especially fantasy authors, because it seems like most books will have dragons, but how do authors approach the dragons? And I love that you say that it's not just a fire breathing dragon and that'll be it. You know, it's a big creature and that'll be it. It goes to show the passion in your writing and in in this world you've created. So I, I loved hearing that. <laughs> Ultimately, what would you like your readers to get from your book series besides the entertainment of it? What are some things that, that you want to portray? I think the biggest thing is, yes, everybody, you know, every writer says, I want somebody to get lost in my world. Okay, yeah, we'd all love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd like somebody to walk away with maybe a feeling of compassion because we've all had that run in with somebody where they're like, you're a grump. You're a gr- I don't know why you're like that. But I think it's more that after reading it, I would like somebody to say, you know what, maybe they're like that because they have baggage. Or maybe Mm -hmm. I should look at this situation from a different point of view, because that's the main argument. And I guess the trope of the story is that a lot of this could be healed in a conversation. But nobody does that. You know, it's all (laughs) like, you know, and I kind of make fun of it in the prologues. Each book has a prologue told from Lucifer's point of view where he's watching the Fae. And he jokes where he's like, it's the usual trope. One conversation could solve this. That's the main thing I'd like people to take away from is that Aurora and Jarvok are both grieving, but their grieving process is very different. One channels it into, I'm not going to look at my own feelings, but I'm going to take care of the world. The other one's like, I'm angry with the world, so I'm going to burn it all down. It's a matter of you're both witnessing a fight. And if you're the other person, you're like, you two could just talk this whole thing out and be fine. 
that's kind of it. Like maybe before you get angry, like just take a breath mm-hmm. and realize maybe this person's just having a really bad day. Right. So just a little more compassion. Right. And you get to read how when you react this way, this is what happens mm-hmm. versus when you react a different way. So like I said before, I love that even though it's in a fantasy world, it's something really relatable as well. You know, like, of course, I can't relate to riding a dragon or something, but I can relate to having the love respect for an animal or another person. Or So, Danielle, what else can you tell me about you as an author? I think just me as an author in general is more of the idea of if you want to know what not to do, come talk to me as an author. Because I've probably <laughs> made the mistake a million times. I've probably done it. I bet on myself when it came to this. I was mm-hmm. a healthcare worker. And then I decided to throw it all aside and do this. As an author, I'm still feeling my way around this world a little bit. And I'm Mm -hmm. still going to make mistakes. But I really enjoy it. I love my characters tremendously. Probably a little too much. Um, (laughs) Probably a little bit more. because, Because I'm not classically trained. All my characters are somebody I know. An interaction I've had. And I've put it all out there, whether they have fins, a horn, whatever, it's all interpersonal dynamics. And sometimes there are people I don't like. Here's a hint, you know, the bishops are named the bishops because I had a Taekwondo instructor who hated my guts and his name was Mr. Bishop. Oh, So the bishops are named the bishops because I needed a name for somebody, a foil that was going to give Aurora problems. And I'm like, ah, Bishop. (laughs) it's it's no religious connotation at all it was just that so if I don't like you most likely you're going to wind up in the book at some point (laughs) I'm okay with that I'm behind you 100% it is your world and your book so I am it's cathartic (laughs) but I also love the fact that you're a professional cosplayer and I would love to hear about that because that's such a fascinating world to me I've been cosplaying since before it was cosplaying. You know, my dad will joke that I wore Wonder Woman underoos until they had holes in them and they were like literally being held up by strings and elastic. It's what I've always done. I think cosplaying is a great escape. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't always escape into my fate world. You know, it's part of my job. So it's not as much of an escape as you would think. But throwing on some spandex, making uh, a big mallet and running around being Harley Quinn is just the best feeling in the whole wide world uh, you know it's, it's great I'm actually dressing up as Firestar in a couple hours and going to see Chris Claremont at Heroes Con oh. it's awesome it's, it's great I love just having that freedom to express my fandom these characters I mean Wonder Woman's my hero I have a Wonder Woman tattoo this is what I do Linda Carter was the greatest thing I'd ever seen on TV Green Hornet Cato the minute I saw Cato, I was like, what is this? This is magical. I don't know what's happening here, but he drives the car. He doesn't get <laughs> captured. He's not Robin. Who is this? Right, and right. I need that. Then, you know, Yvonne Craig, Batgirl, she's got her own motorcycle. Like when I saw these things as a kid, I'm like, this changes my world, my landscape. I want to be that. So I started, you know, going to New York Comic Con and I realized I could make I was very good at making swords, mallets, like the props. So I kind of dove into that side more. I made my poison ivy costume. I had like 5,000 leaves. 
you know, glued on and, and stuff. And I actually got stopped by one of the Marvel costume designers who was there showing off the Avengers costume. And she took pictures of me. And, and that was like a big, like, I was just blown away. Right. She was like, this is how you make a costume. And I was like, wow. Okay. You know, I can do this. Right. And I've been cosplaying years. And I go, I go to as many uh, conventions as I can go to. I'm usually in a DC, but after I met Chris Claremont two years ago, I met him dressed as Wonder Woman and he looked at me and he goes, uh, next time I see you, let's do a Marvel, okay? <laughs> and I looked at him, I was like, yes, sir. And so I saw him in Richmond this past March at GalaxyCon and I had my first Firestar. Firestar was my first Marvel. And I went up to him and I was dressed, actually I had a Spider-Man t-shirt and his handler went, look, no, she's Mary Jane. And he went, yeah, no, that doesn't count. And I, I promised, I was like, I have a Firestar one. I'm going to wear it Sunday. And it was Friday. He goes, why don't you wear it tomorrow? And I was like, yes, sir. I will change my whole thing up. No problem. <laughs> you have got this. Running. Oh, I was, I was ready. I went running <laughs> to his booth the next day. I was like, see, Firestar. And he was like, let's take a picture. And we took a picture. And it was like the greatest moment of my life because Chris Claremont is like one of my literary heroes. It was awesome. And. I just, I love cosplaying. I could never get enough of it. I love hearing that. That's so cool. And I was wondering if you, since you've completed your series, if you would have like a group of you guys do your whole series. That's a dream. <laughs> That's a dream. Since volume one is done and volume two is on its way, volume one is all the fae. Volume two is going to be modern day, uh, mm. less fae. But I would love to do a cosplay calendar with a bunch of cosplayers. And oh, that'd do, be so cool. you know, a King Charbok, you know, Queen Aurora, Lady Serena, and do something that I could bring more attention to the cosplay community because mm -hmm. they are the most supportive group out there. Especially for me, they've been, I mean, the minute the book came out, I had cosplayers, you know, that I know just rooting me on and being super cool about it. Uh, cosplay mm -hmm. Alliance has been awesome. You know, there's just so many beautiful cosplayers that I've met that are just so good hearted that have cheered me on that are awesome people. So I would love to do a calendar. I am talking with uh, my partner in crime, CR Rice. Her and I are discussing doing a calendar because she's an amazing dystopian uh, YA author and she's got a series, The Realm. So we're talking about maybe doing a crossover calendar cosplaying, oh. which I think would be really cool. So we're discussing doing something like that, but eventually I'd like to do you know, yeah. we'd like to do something bigger with other right. cosplayers and bring them in. Well, especially since you've completed the series at this point and starting a different one. But this series still wants to have more, you know, more spotlights, the cosplay, everything about it. This is fa so fascinating. So, Daniel, where can we get your books? You can find the books, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, Target.com any of those places, any place you get your books, my books are at. I'm physically in Barnes & Nobles in uh, Charlotte, uh, Sharon Road, Morris Place, Morrison Place has them. I'm, like I said, I'm on Amazon. So wherever you get your books, you can walk in and just, if it's not in the store, just ask them to order Birth of the Fae and they can grab it. I also have an AR game coming out by Melderverse. Oh, which you can adopt your own dragon. So Los the <gasps> Chameleon Dragon is uh, King Jarbox's companion. 
He does all the reconnaissance for the Dark Fae. And you will be able to adopt your very own version of Los. It's an AR game. So he will pop up in your world and you'll be able to feed him and, you know, groom him and do all little tricks. He'll fly around. He was actually modeled after my little Yorkie Carlos. So it's really, really cool. But you go to melderverse.com. You can check it out on my Instagram and my, um, in my flow code. And uh, you can find all the information or just go to melderverse.com and find out and you can uh, get your username now. Well, I want to say thank you for coming by today to tell me about this world, about Birth of the Fae and everything surrounding you as an author. Any last minute thing you want to say, Danielle, before we go today? I want to thank all my Fae friends for, you know, riding through volume one and volume two of the Birth of the Fae series will be out probably sometime next year, but I still have some other things. I may be doing a novella for Birth of the Face still. I might have one more in me, and I'm working with Pandy Van, my Dragon Illustrator, to do a Dragon Index. So we still have some more Birth of the Face stuff coming out before Volume 2. Especially, I want to see the calendar. And I definitely think your Instagram will be so fascinating with all the cosplay and stuff. But thank you, Danielle, for coming today. And And I hope I get to talk to you again, the next volume coming out or even the next series beyond Birth of the Fae, because this is this isn't over. This has got to be something so fascinating that that we want to keep hearing about. So I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me About Your Book. Please continue to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And if you would love to support Tell Me About Your Book podcast, you can certainly do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash tellmepodcast. For a price of a coffee, you can support monthly for just $5. There's other tiers too in the memberships, and you can look at all the info about it, and I would certainly, certainly appreciate it. And of course, there's the other podcast, Books, Cats, and Snacks, where Caddy and I talk all things book and about her cats too. See you then.